Blog Talk Radio. From the far reaches of the known universe, we are proud to present Brother Harold Muhammad, soldier, scientist, scholar. Blog Talk Radio's finest. Not so mad science. On Black Hole Radio. Assalamu alaikum. And we do apologize for starting so late right here on this edition of Not So Mad Science here on the Black Hole Radio Network with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, coming to you live from the city of Detroit, Motown. And as always, just because Barry Gordy took Motown to L.A. does not mean Detroit has lost its soul. We have a quiet show for you tonight. And by quiet, I mean we don't have a whole lot of unnecessary things going on, but we do have some interesting factoids in the world of COVID. We have some interesting highlights on how to better take care of yourself to prevent you uh, from getting COVID and what to do if you get COVID. That being said, we're going to take a brief musical journey down the road with Al Jero while we get everything prepared and squared away for your enjoyment and edification and mind as well here on Not So Mad Science. So, with Mr. Al Giroux, we have a little bit of moonlighting going on.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It seems, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to do this one more time. So, let's ride the train with a little earth, wind, and fire. Breathe.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. This is Not So Mad Science with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. Once again, and as always, coming to you live from the city of Detroit, Motown. Well, in the past, we've scolded, cajoled, educated, patted on the back, guided, with the best of intentions to offer some informational base to work from, for us all to work from, to be able to know what to do in the season of pestilence, this pestilence of heaven, put down by God to wreak havoc upon the world. Well, how do we protect ourselves? What do we need to know? Well, one of the best things you can do to protect yourself from any virus or disease is to consume or eat foods and supplements that will boost your immune system and help the body fight off any infections. We need to know what it is we're working with and how these things that we're working with work. Well, what is your immune system? And how can you make it stronger? The immune system is the defense system of the body. It consists of various types of cells and proteins that destroy harmful particles or microorganisms and protect the body from diseases. Microorganisms such as viruses and bacteria are tiny, microscopic living things that can get into the body and potentially cause you severe and great harm. When the immune system detects an invasion of harmful microorganisms, it responds to address that problem. It works by identifying particles as either natural and helpful to the body or foreign, potentially dangerous invaders. Examples, in my, examples of particles and microorganisms identified by the immune system as foreign are bacteria, viruses, parasites, allergens, and toxic chemicals. The immune system, which I, which was have never been shared before, has two layers of defense that protect the body from various types of attacks from microorganisms and non-living chemicals like toxins and metals, heavy metals. When one layer is breached, the other layer is activated to work until the attack is successfully controlled. These two layers of the immune system are called the innate immune system and the adaptive or acquired.
acquired immune system. The first layer of defense is the innate immune system. This layer of the body consists of barriers like your skin, your hair, the lining of the respiratory system where you have phlegm and snot, things such as that, your intestinal system, and the genital urinary system, and the nose and throat. If microorganisms are successful and get inside the body, the innate immune system is further activated. Meaning it has a dual purpose. The innate immune system is present in the body from the time of birth. Although it is present at birth, the innate immune system is not yet fully developed. It is non-specific, meaning it does not have a special mechanism of action for a specific microorganism. It is composed of white blood cells such as neutrophils, mast cells, basophils, dendritic cells, eosinophils, monocytes, macrophages, and natural killer cells. The innate immune system looks for foreign invaders. Once it identifies a foreign invader, the innate immune system works to destroy the foreign invaders by causing fevers. You always think because you got a fever, something's wrong with you. No, your body is doing what it needs to do to protect itself. So your body's immune system will cause you to get fever. And producing substances such as, as you've heard me say many times, interferon. Alpha, Beta, Lambda, and Gamma to destroy the foreign entities. The acquired or the adaptive immune system is a secondary line of defense. It is activated if the innate immune system is unable to destroy the foreign germs or invaders. Unlike the innate immune system, the adaptive immune system is not present at birth and is created in response to foreign substances, which is why it is named the adaptive immune system. It adapts to germ exposure over time. It is made of highly specialized immune cells, highly specialized cells and processes that eliminate harmful microorganisms. The adaptive immune system specifically targets the types of germs that causes infections. 
for the adaptive immune system to do its part, it must first identify the foreign invader. It works slower than the innate immune system. However, when it does respond, it is more targeted than the innate immune system. The adaptive immune system remembers. It has a memory. It records data. It knows what and who the foreign invader is. So it is able to attack faster should the body get invaded again. The adaptive immune system is made of T cells, B cells, and antibodies. Although the immune system is made of or rather I should say, although the immune system is a powerful force to help the body fight against disease, it can become compromised and weakened with a poor diet, dehydration, lack of sleep, poor hygiene, and bad habits, such as smoking and the drinking of alcohol. Understanding the immune system is necessary to take actions to make the immune system stronger and ready to fight against any foreign invader like the SARS-CoV-2 virus, now known as COVID-19. So what do we do? In that stellar, startling, um, spiritually divine book, How to Eat to Live, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad stresses the necessity of acquiring nutrients through eating healthy foods. However, he cautions us that much of the food commercially available in grocery stores has been robbed of vital nutrients. In How to Eat to Live, Book 2, on page 93, the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad states, the world that we are now living in as I have repeatedly written in this article, is a commercial world which commercializes on everything which they can make an extra dollar. The food that we eat is robbed of its natural vitamins and proteins. Do you want some vitamins and proteins? You have to go to the drugstore. There you will find them on the shelves in the drugstore in pill and in liquid form. Now, you may eat a lot more of what you used to think was good vitamin and protein foods. But those vitamins and proteins are not there in the food anymore. 
when the vitamins or proteins are chemically taken out of natural foods, it makes the food less valuable. The chemicals used to take out vitamins and proteins from their natural place in food and the chemicals used to keep and preserve the vitamins and proteins make it not too safe for us to eat vitamins and proteins. In the pill and liquid form. It is a pity that good food is robbed for the sake of a commercial dollar. On page 147 of that historical book, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad further states, and I quote, think over it, that their food scientists teach how to rob food of its value, then put it in pills and in liquid forms to commercialize on. How then can you eat to live with what he leaves you to eat? Foods robbed of their natural vitamins. Since food is robbed of its nutrients, many of us, many of us may find that we suffer from a nutritional deficiency. Even though we eat what we believe to be good, healthy food every day. This can occur even in our efforts to eat the best food and prepare them in the best manner. Consequently, supplementation with vitamins may be necessary. And in this world, we must say it is necessary. But I caution you. Please be sure to first consult your doctor regarding the supplementation regimen that is best for you individually. Also, take time to do some research to find supplements that are produced using health-conscious methods. knowing how the vitamins are extracted and how the supplements are produced is key to ensure that they are derived from the best possible sources. Consider choosing vitamins that are made from organic whole foods that do not contain unhealthy fillers such as pork gelatin and other toxic chemical preservatives. Vitamins are organic compounds found in foods. Organic compound simply means that it usually comes from living things, such as plants and animals, but not always. For the chemistry enthusiasts amongst us, organic compounds are carbon based 
compounds. Vitamins are molecules that are necessary for the human body to develop and function properly. The human body needs vitamins in small quantities. And in most cases, the human body either does not produce them or produces insufficient quantities. We must acquire vitamins through consuming whole foods or and or supplements. When considering the nutritional needs of babies, the best whole food for them is breast milk. Babies acquire vitamins and many other nutrients through the mother's breast milk which also helps build the child's immunity. There are 13 vitamins required for the human body to work properly. These 13 essential vitamins are vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, vitamin B1 known as thiamine, Vitamin B2, known as riboflavin. Vitamin B3, known as niacin. Pantenothenic acid, or B5. Biotin, which is B7. Vitamin B6. Vitamin B12, known as cyanocarblamin. and folic or folic acid and B9. All of these vitamins are essential for more health. But during this coronavirus pandemic, it has been discovered that certain vitamins are even more critical in helping the body to fight against the virus and lessen the effects of the COVID-19 disease. To lessen the effects of COVID-19 disease, the consumption of whole foods containing vitamin D and vitamin C is critical and zinc. In addition to consuming supplements containing vitamin D and vitamin C in sufficient quantities may be considered. So, dear brothers and sisters, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you, eat a healthy diet and look to ensure that you supplement your body with these essential vitamins and mega dose with vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc to help recover from COVID, to help fight COVID, and to more importantly, keep COVID away. This is Not So Mad Science, and I'm your host for the Harold Muhammad here on the Black Hole Radio Network. Now, to go to some more COVID news, let's take a look back into time. We have an NBA player.
we can presume, because he is a an athlete, paid millions of dollars to play basketball, that their essential health is looked out for in the best of manner. We know that the NBA has taken major steps in the precaution of keeping players from being exposed to COVID. So in the midst of the standoff between the NBA, the National Basketball Association, and star player Kyrie Irving, who has been banned from practicing or playing with the team he, that hired him, the Brooklyn Nets, until he gets vaccinated, another player has sounded the alarm on how the COVID vaccine ended his season last year and how the team officials attempted to cover up the blood clots he suffered from after taking the vaccine shot. Brandon Goodwin, former point guard with the Atlanta Hawks, who on this past Thursday signed a new deal with the New York Knicks. In May of last year, or this year actually, he pulled out for the season for what was described as a minor respiratory condition. But that is not the truth. The Atlanta Hawks backup guard Brandon Goodwin, quote, back on May 18th, said, we'll miss the NBA playoffs after being diagnosed with a respiratory condition. That was reported by the Associated Press on May 18th. While the team described the condition as minor, it will require treatment and keep Goodwin out for the remainder of the season. Now, we all know these teams are paying these guys millions of dollars. A minor injury does not keep the player on the bench or out for the season because they want to get their slave labor's money worth. Goodwin said during October 3rd Twitch stream, he says, and I quote, I got sick, and then I never recovered from it. I would always have back pain. I was just super tired in the games, like when we played Philly on April 28th through the 30th, back to back. Bro, I was so tired like I couldn't run up and down the court. Then we went home. That's when my back really started hurting bad. Then I'm like having to go to the doctor. That's when I found out I had blood clots. Mr. Goodwin said the symptoms all happened in the span of a month after getting vaccinated. He says, and I quote, I was fine up until then, up until I took the vaccine. I was fine. So people trying to tell you it's not the vaccine, how do you know? You don't know. The vaccine ended my season 1,000%. 
Goodwin expressed no animosity toward the Hawks, but did express some confusion about how they handled his hospitalization. Quote, nothing against the Hawks, but they called me the next day while I was in the hospital and told me, we're going to tell the press your season's over. Goodwin said the team asked him to keep quiet about his condition, which explains why the public is only now learning that the so-called minor condition was blood clots. To quote Mr. Goodwin again, he says, they, they just, like, don't say anything about it, don't tell anybody. I'm like, bro. Goodwin said he wanted to speak up so he could get back in the game because he was back on his feet after the initial bout of respiratory problems, despite being on blood thinners. In fairness to the team, Goodwin says his doctors also told him not to play basketball in the summer. Goodwin did not disclose which vaccine he received. But blood clots have been linked to all three COVID vaccines authorized for emergency use in the U.S. Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Though the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, has added a warning label only to the J&J, the Johnson & Johnson shot. On April 13th, Federal agencies paused J&J's vaccines, marketed under the company's Janssen subsidiary. While they investigated the vaccine's possible link to potentially dangerous blood clots. In an April 13th joint statement from the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the FDA, and the CDC. The agency said they were investigating six cases of blood clots in the U.S. All six occurred in women between the ages of 18 and 48, and symptoms occurred six to 13 days after vaccination. On April 23rd, an independent advisory panel for the CDC voted 10 to 4 to resume use of the J&J vaccine with a label warning against the risk of blood clots. According to the latest data from the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, There have been 10,131 U.S. reports of blood clotting disorders after receiving a COVID vaccine between December 14, 2020 and October 8, 2021. Of those, 4,407 reports were attributed to the Pfizer vaccine, 3,600 and 54 reports to the Moderna, and 2,018 reports to Johnson & Johnson. Once again, dear brothers and sisters, I'd say to you, 
This is Not So Mad Science with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. On October 15th, Two more teenagers died. Two more death reports were sent in to the vaccine adverse events reporting system. Just as the FDA panel recommended Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, booster shot. Data release on Friday of last week. Data released by the CDC showed that between December 14th and October 8th, a total of 798,636 adverse events came as a result of the vaccine. The data included a total of 16,766 reports of death, an increase of 456 deaths over the previous week, and two more reports of teenagers who died immediately after being vaccinated. I reiterate the instructions of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. Get that poison out your arms. But so many of us are afraid. On October 18th, it was reported, reported that the Attorney General of Nebraska called out the FDA and the CDC and Dr. Fauci and other media for fueling confusion and misinformation on COVID treatments. What? Let's take a look. What shall we find? Few subjects have been more controversial with regard to vaccine treatments than ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, two long-established inexpensive medications widely and successfully used in many parts of the world for prevention and treatment of COVID. I myself mock. former President Cope 45 in his speaking of hydroxychloroquine in his infamously ignorant manner of projecting information we could not take him at his word for he offered no evidence or proof with respect to the 
hydroxychloroquine. But when noted doctors came forward as to how hydroxychloroquine can be used in association with ivermectin, we had to turn a different kind of critical eye toward that treatment. Again, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine have been used in many parts of the world to prevent and to treat COVID. Contrast, use of both medications against COVID have been largely suppressed in the U.S., where doctors have been threatened and punished for prescribing them. On October 15th, the Nebraska state of Nebraska's Attorney General Doug Peterson issued a legal opinion that Nebraska health care providers can legally prescribe off-label medications like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine for the treatment of COVID so as long as they obtain informed consent from the patient. However, if they did neglect to obtain consent, deceive, prescribe excessively high doses, or other misconduct, they could be subject to discipline. This was written and sent forward from Attorney General Peterson. The AG's office also emphasized it was not recommending any specific treatment for COVID. That is not our role, Mr. Peterson wrote. Rather, and I quote, he said, we address only the off-label early treatment options discussed in this opinion and conclude that the available evidence suggests that they might work for some people. Just a Peterson said, allowing physicians to consider early treatment will free them to evaluate additional tools that could save lives, keep patients out of the hospital, and provide relief for our already strained healthcare system. The opinion, based on an assessment of relevant specific scientific literature, was rendered in response to a request by Danette Smith. CEO of the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Smith asked the AG's office to look into whether doctors could face discipline or legal actions under Nebraska's Uniform Credential Act, meant to protect public health, safety, and welfare if they prescribe ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Quote, after receiving your question and conducting our investigation, we have found significant controversy and suspect information about potential COVID-19 treatments, Mr. Peterson wrote. For example, a paper published in The Lancet, which is considered to be one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, denounced hydroxychloroquine as dangerous. Yet the statistics were flawed and the authors refused to provide 
analyze data. The paper was retracted, but not before countries stopped using the drugs and trials were canceled or interrupted. The Lancet's own editor-in-chief admitted that the paper was a fabrication, a monumental fraud, and a shocking example of research misconduct and political chicanery in the middle of a global health emergency. A recently published paper on COVID recognized that for reasons that are yet to be classified, early treatment has not been emphasized despite numerous U.S. healthcare providers advocating for early treatment and scores treating and academic physicians who have published papers in well-respected journals urging early intervention. Attorney General Peterson cited numerous studies showing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine reduce mortality by up to 75% or more when used as a preventative or prophylaxis, not prophylactic, but prophylaxis for COVID. Now, before I go on, let us define what prophylaxis is. So, P-R-O, P. Y-L-A-X-I-S. According to Webster's Dictionary, prophylaxis is a noun meaning action taken to prevent disease, especially by specified means or against a specific disease. So, Attorney General Peterson, in his writing, says up to 75% or more are saved from death or mortality when ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are used as a preventative or prophylaxis for COVID, suggesting hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved had the drugs been widely used in America. To quote Robert F. Kennedy Jr., every citizen, Democrat or Republican, should be grateful for Attorney General Doug Peterson's thoughtful and courageous counteroffensive against the efforts of big pharmaceuticals, its captive federal regulators, and its media and social media allies to silence doctors and deny Americans life-saving treatments. Attorney General Peterson said, we finally have a leader who puts constitutional rights, peer-reviewed science, and human health above industry profits. Doug Peterson is uncowed and unbowed, a genuine hero on horseback for all Americans. 
although the Attorney General's office did not rule out the possibility that other off-label drugs might show promise either now or in the future as a prophylaxis or treatment against COVID, it confined its opinion to ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine for sake of brevity. In his legal opinion, Attorney General Peterson concluded, evidence showed ivermectin demonstrated striking effectiveness in preventing and treating COVID, and any side effects were primarily minor and transient. Thus, the UCA does not preclude physicians from considering ivermectin for the prevention or treatment of COVID. In the decade leading up to the COVID pandemic, Mr. Peterson found numerous studies showing ivermectin's antiviral activity against several RNA viruses by blocking the nuclear trafficking of viral proteins, adding to 50 years of research confirming ivermectin's antiviral effectiveness. In addition, Safety data for ivermectin showed side effects were vanishingly small. The latest statistics available through VigiAccess reported only 5,674 adverse drug reactions to ivermectin between 1992 and October 13, 2021, an incredibly low number given that 3.7 billion doses have been administered since the 1980s, Attorney General Peterson noted. Mr. Peterson cited several studies showing ivermectin led to improvement of COVID outcomes when used in early treatment or as a prophylactics, while noting many studies with negative findings about ivermectin excluded most available evidence or cherry-picked data within studies, misreported data, made unsupported assertions of adverse reactions to ivermectin and had conclusions that did not follow from evidence. Mr. Peterson also found that epidemiological evidence for ivermectin's effectiveness derived by analyzing COVID-related data from various states countries or regions is instructive in the context of the global pandemic. In one instance, a group of scholars analyzed data comparing COVID rates of countries that routinely administer ivermectin as a prophylaxis and countries that did not. The research showed countries with routine mass drug administrators of prophylactic Ivermectin may have, or I rather have, a significantly lower incidence of COVID-19. This highly significant correlation manifests itself not only in a worldwide context, but also when comparing African countries that regularly administer prophylactic ivermectin against parasitic infections in African countries that do not, Mr. Peterson wrote. 
quote, based on these results, the researchers surmise that these results may be connected to ivermectin's ability to inhibit SARS-CoV-2 applications, which likely lead to lower infection rates. Many health agencies have now addressed the use of ivermectin for COVID. The National Institute for Health, the NIH, has adopted a neutral position. It's interesting that Mr. Fauci has adopted a neutral position, knowing full well in advance the effectiveness of ivermectin and being a staunch advocate against its usage. changed his tune to a neutral position, choosing not to recommend for or against the use of ivermectin, which is a change from its position in January of 2021, where it blatantly discouraged the use of the drug for treatment of COVID. Mr. Peterson wrote, quote, the reason for the change in the NIH recognized several randomized trials and retrospective cohort studies of ivermectin use in patients with COVID-19 have been published in peer-reviewed journals, and some of those studies reported positive outcomes, including shorter time to resolution of disease manifestations that were attributed to COVID-19, greater reduction in inflammatory marker levels, shorter time to viral clearance, and lower mortality rates in patients who receive ivermectin than in patients who receive comparator drugs or a placebo. Yet, on August 29th of this year, Dr. Anthony Amafake Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, within the NIH went on CNN and announced there is no clinical evidence that ivermectin works for the prevention or treatment of COVID. Mr. Fauci went on to reiterate that there's no evidence whatsoever that it works. Wow. This definitive claim directly contradicts the NIH's recognition that several randomized trials published in peer-reviewed journals have reported data indicating that ivermectin is, in fact, is effective as a COVID-19 treatment, Mr. Peterson wrote. In March 2021, the FDA posted a webpage, quote, why you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. Although the FDA's concerns were stories of some people using the animal form of ivermectin or excessive doses of the human form, the title broadly condemned any use of ivermectin in connection with COVID-19, Mr. Peterson wrote, yet there was no basis for this sweeping condemnation. Peterson wrote, indeed, the FDA itself acknowledged that on that very webpage and continue to do so until the page changed on September 3rd of 2021. 
that the agency had not even reviewed data to support use of ivermectin in COVID-19 patients or treatments or to prevent COVID-19. But without reviewing the available data, which had long since been available and accumulating, it is unclear what basis the FDA had for denouncing ivermectin as a treatment or prophylaxis for COVID-19. Well, it is to this science reporter that it was strictly a financial and fiduciary concern. Big Pharma pays the way for Dr. Anthony Fauci. Quoting on that same page, the FDA also declared that ivermectin is not an antiviral, a drug for treating viruses. Well, it's been used in Africa for years to do that very same thing. It did so while on another one of its web pages simultaneously cited a study in antiviral research that identified ivermectin as a medicine previously shown to have broad-spectrum antiviral activity. It is very telling that the FDA deleted the line about ivermectin not being antiviral when it amended the first webpage on September 3, 2021, Mr. Peterson noted. Peterson said the FDA's most controversial statement on ivermectin was made on August 21st when it posted a link on Twitter to its Why You Should Not Use Ivermectin webpage with this statement. You're not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. This message is troubling not only because it makes light of a serious matter, but also because it inaccurately implies that ivermectin is only for horses or cows. Mr. Peterson said the FDA has assailed ivermectin safety while ignoring the fact that physicians routinely prescribe medications for off-label use and that ivermectin is a particularly well-tolerated medicine with an established safety record. Peterson added the FDA is ignoring several randomized controlled trials and at least one meta-analysis suggesting ivermectin is effective against COVID. He pointed out the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has adopted a similar stance. Unsupported by scientific evidence and the media has fueled confusion and misinformation on the drug. Professional associations in the U.S. and internationally have adopted conflicting positions on ivermectin and COVID. The American Medical Association, the AMA, the American Pharmacist Association, the APHA, and the American Society for Health System Pharmacists the ASHP issued a statement in September strongly opposing ordering, prescribing, or dispensing ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID outside of clinical trials. Why? Because they were kowtowing to the interests of big pharmaceuticals. 
the AMA, the APHA, and the ASHP also mention a statement by Merck, the original patent holder, patent holder opposing the use of ivermectin for COVID because of a concerning lack of safety data, safety data in major studies. But Merck, of all sources, knows that ivermectin is exceedingly safe. So the absence of safety data in recent studies should not be concerning to the company, Mr. Peterson wrote. Attorney General Peterson called into question the objectivity of Merck in providing an opinion on ivermectin that U.S. health agencies are relying upon. Why would ivermectin's original patent holder go out of its way to question this medicine by creating the impression that it might not be safe, Attorney General Peterson asked. There are at least two plausible reasons. Mr. Peterson explains. He says, first, ivermectin is no longer under patent, so Merck does not profit from it anymore. That likely explains why Merck declined to conduct clinical trials on ivermectin in COVID-19 when given the chance. It's not in their financial interest. Second, Merck has a significant financial interest in the medical profession rejecting ivermectin as an early treatment for COVID-19. The U.S. government has agreed to pay Merck about $1.2 billion or 1.7 million courses of its experimental COVID-19 treatment. Let me say that again. The U.S. government has agreed to pay Merck about 1.2 billion for 1.7 million courses of its experimental COVID-19 treatment. If it is proven to work, in an ongoing large trial authorized by U.S. regulators. So again, it comes down to money. What's in the company's financial interest? Merck's treatment is known as a molnupiravir, M-O-L-N-U-P-I-R-A-V-I-R, molnupiravir, and aims to stop COVID from progressing when given early in the course of disease. When Merck announced on October 1st that preliminary studies indicated that its malnupiravir reduced reduced hospitalizations and deaths by half, the drug maker's stock price immediately jumped to 12.3%. Thus, if low-cost ivermectin works better than or even the same as its new drug, the Malnupervir, that could cost Merck billions of dollars, Mr. Peterson wrote. Attorney General Peterson said, based on his review of the evidence, his office did not find clear and convincing evidence that would warrant disciplining physicians who prescribe hydroxychloroquine for the prevention or early treatment of COVID after first obtaining informed patient consent. Peterson pointed to similar findings with hydroxychloroquine, a less less toxic derivative 
of a medicine named, excuse me, chloroquine. Widely used since it was approved by the FDA in 1955 for the treatment of malaria. Peterson noted that as early as 2004, a lab study revealed chloroquine was an effective and effective inhibitor of the replication of severe acute respiratory syndrome in vitro and should be considered for immediate use in the prevention and treatment of the SARS-CoV infection. In 2005, another study showed chloroquine had strong antiviral effects on SARS-CoV infections and was effective in preventing the spread of the SARS-CoV in cell cultures. Another study showed hydroxychloroquine exhibited antiviral properties that can inhibit SARS-CoV-2 virus entry, transmission, and replication and contains anti-inflammatory properties that help regulate pro-inflammatory cytokines. Attorney General Peterson wrote, many large observational studies suggest that hydroxychloroquine significantly, significantly reduces the risk of hospitalization and death when administered to particularly high-risk outpatients as part of early treatment of COVID-19. Peterson said the drug is considered to be safe. It can be prescribed for pregnant women. Yet during the pandemic, the FDA raised concerns about hydroxychloroquine and adverse cardiac events. These concerns prompted one group of researchers to conduct a systematic review of hydroxychloroquine safety literature pre-COVID. Their review indicated people taking hydroxychloroquine in appropriate doses are at a very low risk of experiencing cardiac adverse events, particularly with short-term administration of the drug. Researchers noted COVID-19 COVID itself can cause cardiac problems, and there was no reason to think the medication itself had changed after 70 years of widespread use, according to Attorney General Peterson. Mr. Peterson said one piece of key flawed data had substantially contributed to safety concerns surrounding the drug. The admittedly fraudulent Lancet study that falsely claimed hydroxychloroquine increased frequency of ventricular arrhythmias when used for treatment of COVID. The findings were so startling that major drug trials involving hydroxychloroquine were immediately halted and the World Health Organization pressured countries like Indonesia that were widely using hydroxychloroquine to ban it. Some countries, including France, Italy, and Belgium, stopped using it for COVID altogether. Attorney General Peterson wrote, and I quote him again, The problem, however, is that the study was based on false data from a company named 
Sergisier, whose founder and CEO, Sapan Desai, was a co-author on the published paper. The data were so obviously flawed that journalists and outside researchers began raising concerns within days of the paper's publication. Even the Lancet editor-in-chief, Dr. Richard Horton, admitted that the paper was a fabrication, a monumental fraud, and a shocking example of research misconduct in the middle of a global health emergency that was produced in benefit specifically and supported by big pharmaceuticals who knew findings were not true. Despite for the call to Lancet to provide a full expansion of what happened, the publication declined to provide details for the retraction. For this, Lancet's credibility worldwide amongst doctors is now destroyed, in my opinion. And if it's not destroyed, it should be. But we know they're going to be able to stay in business because big pharmaceutical will support them because they made the money. By contrast, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, the AAPS, and other physicians groups support the use of both ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine as an effective early treatment option for COVID. Peterson cited an article co-authored by more than 50 doctors in reviews in cardiovascular medicine who advocated early treatment protocol that includes hydroxychloroquine as a key component. Sadly, your advocate was an idiot, which made it difficult to overwhelm and overcome the obstacle of lies against hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin when it came out of the mouth of then-President Donald Amajerk Trump. The regulations governing physicians states that unprofessional conduct includes conduct or practice outside normal standard of care in the state of Nebraska which is or might be harmful or dangerous to the health of the patient or the public, not to include a single act of ordinary negligence. Peterson said that healthcare providers do not violate the standard of care when they choose between two reasonable approaches to medicine. Regulations also indicate that physicians may utilize reasonable investigative or unproven therapies that reflect a reasonable approach to medicine so long as physicians obtain written, informed patient consent. Informed consent concerns a doctor's duty to inform his patient or her patient, and it includes telling patients about the nature of the pertinent ailment or conditions, the risk of proposed treatment, or procedure and the risk of any alternative methods of treatment, including the risk of failing to undergo any treatment at all. 
Mr. Peterson said this applies to prescribing medicine for purposes other than uses approved by the FDA and that doing so falls within the standard of care repeatedly recognized by the court. Mr. Peterson said the U.S. Supreme Court has also affirmed that off-label usage of medical devices is an accepted and necessary practice. And the FDA has held the position for decades that a physician may prescribe a drug for uses or in treatment regimens or patient populations that are not included in approved labeling. Peterson said the FDA has stated healthcare providers generally may prescribe a drug for an unapproved use when they judge that it is medically appropriate for their patient and nothing in the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, the FDCA, limits the manner in which a physician may use an approved drug. In the statement to KET, KETV News Watch 7, Nebraska's Department of Health and Human Services said, and I quote, the Department of Health and Human Services appreciate the Attorney General's office delivering an opinion on this matter. The document is posted and available for medical providers as they determine appropriate courses of treatment for their patients. This is not so mad science, and I'm your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. But does it stop there? Does it stop there? There are other damaging evidentiary published statements with regards to the abusive use of power by Dr. Anthony Fauci and the influence pushed by big pharmaceuticals. So as we begin to follow the money trail, we can see Pfizer, Moderna, in a combined pot, stand to rake in $93 billion in 2020, in 2022 for COVID vaccine sales. $93 billion. You want to find the devil? Follow the money. The vaccine makers Pfizer and Moderna projected sales of $93.2 billion in 2022, nearly twice the amount they expected to rake in this year. According to Airfinity, which is a health data analytic group, Airfinity put total market sales for COVID vaccines in 2022 at $124 billion according to the Financial Times. Pfizer vaccines are predicted to reach $54.5 billion in 2022, and Moderna's will hit $38.7 billion. 
the estimate, these estimates blow the earlier figures of 23.6 billion for Pfizer and 24 Moderna, 20 billion for Moderna out of the water. These numbers are unprecedented, according to Airfinity CEO Rasmus Beck Hansen in his statement to the Financial Times. Sales of the mRNA shots will continue to rise in 2022 due to the boosters authorized and countries stockpiling to ward off variants of COVID, according to the Airfinity research. Pfizer will generate 64% of its sales, and Moderna will generate 75% of its sales from high-income countries in 2022. In April, Pfizer predicted 2021 COVID sales of $26 billion. After second quarter results were reported, Pfizer upped the figure to $33.5 billion. Bernstein analyst Ronnie Gall said the company could ring up an additional $10 billion in vaccine sales in 2021. Mr. Gall wrote, and I quote, the numbers are going to be much higher. The guidance of $33.5 billion reflects contracts signed to, signed to today, which reflect total commitments to sell 2.1 million doses at an average price of $15.95 a dose. Pfizer notes that they expect to manufacture 3 million doses. Presumably, much of those will be sold as well, albeit at a lower average price as consumption shifts to emerging markets. This is probably another $10 billion. Second quarter was remarkable in a number of ways, according to Pfizer CEO Albert Borla. He said, most visibly, the speed and efficiency of our efforts with BioNTech to help vaccinate the world against COVID-19 has been unprecedented. With now more than a billion doses of the BioNTech 162B6, 162B2, having been delivered globally. On a conference call, Mr. Borla said that while it's very early to speak about the company's sales expectations for next year, he put Fiverr's 2022 production capacity at 4 billion doses. According to Action Aid International, which is another global federation working for a world free of poverty and injustice, Moderna, Pfizer, and BioNTech are reaping astronomical and unconscionable profits due to their monopolies of the mRNA COVID vaccines. Moderna and BioNTech are reporting 69% profit margins, with Moderna and Pfizer paying little in taxes. The People's Vaccine, according to evidence found by People's Vaccine Alliance on September 15th. Thanks to patent monopolies for COVID vaccines, developments of which 
was supported by $100 billion in public funding for taxpayers in the U.S., Germany, and other countries, the three corporations earned more than $26 billion in revenue in the first half of the year, at least two-thirds of it as pure profit for Moderna and BioNTech. The alliance also estimates the three corporations are overcharging pricing their vaccines by as much as $41 billion over the estimated cost of production. Big Pharma's business model. Receive billion in public investments. Charge exorbitant prices for life-saving medicine. Pay little taxes. Is gold dust for wealthy investors and corporate executives but devastating for global public health, according to Robbie Silverman, private sector engagement manager for Oxfam. Mr. Silverman said that pharmaceutical companies are prioritizing their own profits by enforcing their monopolies and selling their vaccines to the highest bidder. Enough is enough. We must start putting people before profits, Mr. Silverman said. According to an analysis done by the People's Vaccine Alliance, based on work by mRNA scientists at Imperial College, Moderna and Pfizer's BioNTech have charged up to 24 times the potential cost of production for their vaccines. Analysis of production techniques for Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna were developed only thanks to $8.3 billion of public funding, suggesting these same vaccines could be made for as little as $1.20 a dose. But they're charging roughly $16 a dose. Despite benefiting from a multi-billion dollar public investment in the development of their vaccines, pharmaceutical giants have not paid their fair share of taxes, according to ActionAid International. In the first half of 2021, Moderna paid 7% U.S. tax rate, and Pfizer paid a 15% tax rate well below the statutory rate required of 21%. BioNTech, the German startup that produced the recipe for Pfizer's vaccine, paid a significantly higher tax rate of 31% in Germany while reaping a 77% profit margin. Moderna expects vaccine sales of $20 billion in 2021. So far this year, Moderna has paid only $322 million in taxes, despite earning billions in profits. Pfizer's vaccine now accounts for more than a third of the company's overall revenue base. Pfizer sold more than $11 billion in vaccines in the first half of this year, and is now projecting $33.5 billion in total vaccine sales for 2021, making the vaccine one of the top-selling pharma products this year and potentially in the history of the pharmaceutical industry. 
Pfizer has stated its vaccine profit margins are less than 30%. But because the company doesn't disclose its expenses, it's not possible to independently verify its profit margins. Johnson & Johnson said it made $502 million in sales from its COVID vaccine in the third quarter, according to an earnings report released last Tuesday. J&J's pharmaceutical business, which developed a single-shot COVID vaccine, generated $12.9 billion in revenue, a 13.8% year-over-year increase, according to CNBC. Sales of J&J's vaccine came in lighter than expected. Edward Jones analyst Ashton Evans said in a report to their clients, but the Dow Jones company still expects 2.5 billion in COVID vaccine sales this year. The company also said it had maintained its vaccine sales outlook for the year, and it plans to ship as much as it can through the rest of the year. CFO Joseph Walk said this in speaking to Squawk Box. J&J reported experienced criticism due to how the company handled the opioid crisis and development of a comparatively less effective COVID vaccine under outgoing CEO Alex Gorski. On October 15th, the U.S. FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee unanimously recommended giving a a second boosted dose to all recipients of J&J's COVID vaccine over 18 years of age. The FDA panel placed no restrictions on who would receive an additional J&J dose, unlike it did with mRNA vaccines, which are authorized only for use for certain high-risk groups. The VRBPAC said the second shot would should be given no earlier than two months after the first. This is not so mad science, and I'm your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. I could keep going and going and going and going and going. But in the words of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, I have sung my song and played my music, yet you still do not hear. How much more evidence do you need to keep that poison out your arms? So, with that said, I would like to share some other news in the world of science, if I may. And that news will be Did you know recently an asteroid zip a significantly large asteroid shot by the Earth inside of the moon? It was never a threat to the planet. But Asteroid 2021 TG14 
passing by the earth at a distance roughly 255,000 miles. That's well within the orbit of the moon, which orbits at a distance of nearly 239,000 miles. It was 100,000 miles or more closer. NASA is always interested in close passes like this, just in case astronomers can get some valuable telescope time for a rare close-up glimpse of a small world. We know that asteroids are leftover fragments from the early solar system. When our neighborhood was a collection of ice and stony small objects before planets were formed. NASA has freely posted all the orbital parameters of the object for the public to see. The agency's Planetary Defense Coordination Office works with other, other, with other government agencies and a network of partner telescopes to keep an eye on potentially, potentially threatening objects. This particular asteroid wasn't one, but the call should have been put out to let the public know that such an astrological event was going to be taking place last week. We did not find out until it had shot by. But to shoot by so close to the planet is an astronomical event that we should be able to witness that something could fly so close to the Earth inside the orbit of the moon, yet we were not told. This is not so mad science, and I'm your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. Now, something for Michiganders that is very critical that you should know. The health officer or commissioner in southwest Michigan, Barron County, is resigning of the politicization of the COVID-19 pandemic. Courtney Davis, or Dr. Courtney Davis, is the acting health officer in Barron County, and Gillian Conrad, the county health department's communication manager, both are stepping down from their positions in the next three weeks, according to a press release or release press release Monday. They say they make this decision with many emotions. Serving the residents of Barron County for nearly five years and supporting local public health infrastructure has become among her greatest honors. So why are you resigning? She says the the politicization of public health during the pandemic, she says she can no longer effectively do her job and serve the community with its health and safety always at the forefront. What is she saying? Since August, debates have raged across Michigan focused on whether local school leaders and county health officers should impose mask mandates for students. Governor Whitmer's administration has declined to issue a statewide requirement, leaving the decision to the local officials. 
Michigan's COVID-19 infection rate has been trending upward. And currently, those under the age of 12 cannot be vaccinated against the virus. Rural counties with low vaccination rates and without mask mandates for students are driving the current jump in infections, according to a Detroit news analyst or an analysis last week. On September 1st, the Barron County Health Department announced a public health order to require students to wear masks. At the time, Dr. Davis said it was imperative that we take this action to keep students and teachers healthy and safe in the classroom. 28 days later, the health department rescinded the order, citing language in the state budget backed by GOP lawmakers that attempted to block funding for the county with emergency health orders approved by the local commissioner. So what did they do? What did they do? Dr. Davis, in her capacity as the lead doctor for the county of Barron, made a medical decision to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the students in the school system by requiring them to wear a mask in school to not only protect themselves and the teachers, but also the administrative staff of the school. This was met with political resistance stating that public monies would be withheld from the county if the mask mandate was not rescinded by the county health commissioner. Because of this, the county health commissioner is resigning. Because the politics of the pandemic is more important and the health, safety, and welfare of the citizens of Barron County. Take note, because this is coming to Wayne County, Oakland County, and the other surrounding counties here in the state of Michigan. So you county medical director, you may make a medical decision, but the politics is going to make a money decision. This is not so mad science, and I'm your host, but I have Muhammad here on the Black Hole Radio Network. Another little interesting factoid here that you may be interested in. You think COVID is the only thing running around right now? It's not. At 5 a.m. on December 4th of 2017, Jesse, Jesse Merrick got a text from his roommate hoping your family is okay. He remembers reading when he woke up the Thomas fire had just broke out in Southern California and was quickly growing into a nearly 300,000 acre behemoth. Jesse frantically tried to reach his relatives in Ventura County. When he finally got hold of his mom, she was broken. She answered the phone and she's crying hysterically, Jesse said. 
She says it's gone. It's all gone. The Merrick's ranch-style home with most of Jesse's childhood stuff in it burned down that day. A week after the fire, he flew out to help his mom salvage what was left. They spent days sifting through the rubble. Jesse, a former college football player, took on the strenuous task of sorting through the wreckage in the deep, charcoal hull of their basement. The whole family wore masks to protect their lungs from dust and gloves to shield their hands from sharp objects. But it wasn't protection enough from the danger lurking in the dirt. Three weeks later, and this is 2017. Jesse had to fly back home to Alabama, where he was working as a sport. He was in charge of covering the annual Sugar Bowl college football game in New Orleans. A big opportunity. When he got there, something didn't feel right. It felt like I had gotten hit by a bus, he said. Jesse chalked it up to jet lag, pushed through the broadcast. But his symptoms did not subside. Instead, they got much, much worse. Within a couple of days, he was coughing and running a low-grade fever. A rash had appeared on his upper torso. He said, I remember being miserable. He said, I wasn't sleeping. Once the rash started moving up his neck, about four days later, he first started feeling sick. Jesse knew he had to go to an urgent care clinic immediately. That was the first of many doctor's visits for a month. Jesse's symptoms worsened. Just giant welts appeared around his joints like someone had whacked him all over with a baseball bat. He developed pneumonia, which made everything hurt, even breathing. Walking was painful. It was like someone was stabbing the bottom of my feet with knives, Jesse recalled. By the time his primary care doctor discovered a six-centimeter mass in his lung, Jesse was starting to think that whatever disease he had might actually end up killing him. He was scheduled for a biopsy and a spinal tap, last-ditch efforts to find the source of his illness. But on the morning of the procedure, a team of infectious disease specialists appeared in his hospital room. It was like an episode of House or something, he said. Chuckling, the biopsy and spinal tap was suddenly irrelevant. The specialists were able to give him what his regular doctor couldn't, a diagnosis. Jesse developed a disease called valley fever. It's caused by one or two strains of a fungus called Coccycelloides coci, for short, that thrive in soils in California and the desert in the southwest. The mass in his lungs wasn't cancer. It was a fungal ball, a glob of fungal hyphae or mushroom filaments and mucus. The infectious disease specialist started him on an intravenous drip of fluconazole, an antifungal medication. Instantly, I started feeling better, Jesse said. 
Guess he got lucky that day. The infectious disease experts were in the right place at the right time. Some 60% of valley fever cases produce no symptoms or mild symptoms that most patients confuse with the flu or common cold. But 30% of those infected develop a moderate illness and require medical care, like what Jesse had. And another 10% have severe infections. The disseminated form of the disease, when the fungus spreads beyond the lungs into other parts of the body, those cases can be, and in most cases, are fatal. Doctors don't know why certain people experience no system, symptoms while others wind up in the emergency room. But they do know that pregnant people, the immunocompromised, African-Americans and Filipinos are especially at risk. And they also know that Kokai is a generalist. Any person, dog, or other mammal who breathes in air laced with the fungal spores is at risk of developing the disease, which kills roughly 200 people in the U.S. every year. No vaccine currently exists, and the antifungal treatment is a Band-Aid, not a cure. Not a cure. Now, why am I jumping back to 2017 to inform you of Jesse's situation? Here's why. With the rash of fires in the west, southwest, and southern states moving across the country this year, these antifungal spores are in the soil and in the remnants of the burnt-out structures that people are sifting through to find what they can find bring some normalcy to their lives. Well, cases of coci, valley fever, have multiplied into the thousands now. There have been some 150,000 cases of valley fever so far this year which have gone undiagnosed. And that's just likely the tip of the iceberg. This disease is endemic to certain geographic areas and is technically considered an emerging illness in those areas. In California alone, there has been an 800% jump between 2000 and 2018 of Valley Sheba. In most states where the disease is endemic, public health departments have been slow to grasp and advertise the breadth and the potential impact of the illness. So, for those of you who lived in the fire-charred areas of the West, Southwest, and Southeast, be mindful, be aware. Sometimes it's not necessarily in your best interest to go into the charred shells of homes that have been burnt down to look for anything. Death still lurks even after the fire. This is not so mad science, and that brings us to the end 
of tonight's program. Prayerfully, I hope that I have not said anything that has caused anyone any harm, but have shared some enlightening information that you can now use to look out for your best interest. Where COVID is concerned, vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc supplements are in your best interest. And should you become sick and you're diagnosed with the disease, tell your doctor you want to be treated with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine in the and appropriate dosages to help your body stave off and defeat the disease. To that end, heed the words of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. Keep that damnable virus out your arm. This is not so mad science with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio, Net- Radio Network, leaving you with the immortal words of that late. Adam Clayton Powell, Jr. of the Abyssinian Baptist Church. Keep the faith, baby. Keep the faith. For I certainly will not give up. I will not give up. Oh, my God. Allah willing, I will be with you once again next week. Salaamu Alaikum. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.